Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by my partner in banter, Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. Hi, Dan. Hi, Leslie. Have you uh, set a reminder to set your clock forward on Sunday? In my mind, it's already summer, so yes. I, I'm just attempting to provide a public service for all of our listeners. Well, thank you for doing that. Aside from Daylight Savings Time, this has been a really busy week of news in the TV world. Bob Greenblatt went from running NBC to overseeing HBO and Turner and the Warner Media Streaming Service. The Game of Thrones trailer finally made its debut. Captain Marvel is making a show for Apple, which also has Captain America on its roster of stars. Matt Balmer is returning to USA Network. And Mike Schur is getting nine figures to stay put at Universal Television. And on the flip side, it's also been a heartbreaking one. Luke Perry passed away at the age of 52. Alex Trebek revealed he was diagnosed with and plans to beat stage four pancreatic cancer while continuing to remain on at Jeopardy. It's been a week. It definitely has been a week. It's been hard to concentrate on one thing before the next thing has just come down the tracks. Uh, and as you say, lots of them have been exciting and fun things. And then lots of things fixated on mortality and the past. It's been a lot, but let's get into things. Every week on the podcast, as you loyal listeners know, Dan and I go beyond the headlines of the top TV stories and offer a deep dive into the latest news. With all the formalities out of the way, let's get into it. Number one. For our first topic, Dan, let's pay our respects to Luke Perry. The Beverly Hills 90210 star died Monday following a massive stroke. There has been an outpouring of tributes and moving think pieces, including yours, Dan, about just how special he was and what a, a wonderful human being and actor he was. I mentioned this last week on the podcast, but I was in high school and my friends and I would watch first run episodes of 90210 every week while on three-way calling, only talking during the commercials. And I had a Luke Perry poster in my bedroom. And since his passing, I've been binging 90210. I think you really wrote it best. He was the James Dean of our generation. And as you wrote, he defined coolness for a generation of TV watchers. I'm trying to reflect on which part of, of your story is is more amusing and confusing to our younger <laughs> listeners, uh, either that you would have a Luke Perry poster on your bedroom wall or three-way calling. Yeah, probably both. Yeah, no, uh, last, last week, obviously, we talked about the Fox reboot of 90210, and at the time, you know, the news had just begun to break that he'd had a stroke, and, you know, that was that was one of those things where... TMZ reported massive stroke on Thursday and then no news at all for four days. Unfortunately, I, I feel like we sort of know what the, the language of the media is and things like that. In my appreciation, I, I kind of dwelt on the fact that it's hard for, again, younger viewers who also don't understand your poster of Luke Perry on your wall to kind of think back to 1988, 89, 90 and, and where the Fox network was and what the Fox network was trying to be and how it was attempting to brand itself in a, in a TV landscape that had been, I don't want to say completely stagnant for decades, but it had been the big three networks and that's what it was. And Fox came in and they were trying to be the younger, cooler network. And Married with Children, of course, was a big thing. And The Simpsons was, of course, a big thing. But 90210 was a phenomenon and a phenomenon of a type that we really can't have today because we're so fragmented as viewers and... We're so obsessed with streaming. So the idea of a show going from 
off the radar to suddenly a cultural sensation over the course of a few weeks. It's it's not something that we really have to the same degree anymore. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, broadcast still has a potential to create these big global hits like This Is Us and Empire to a certain extent on both of those. But I think what was interesting uh, really about 90210 is that it really ushered in a new genre for primetime, and that is the teen soap. It did, and what it did was it had this cast of of young people who were all destined to be stars, or so Fox figured, and they were all cool, and they were all pretty, and... Had sideburns. And they all had sideburns, but even for, but from the first moments that Luke Perry walked on the screen, he was cool in an entirely different way from all of the other people who were supposed to be cool. He he stood out alone. So, okay, you've, you've said that you've made it your your mission this week to restart 902. And are you, first of all, are you planning on going through the entire run or are you just going for a couple weeks and then you're going to stop? I'm going to see, see how it goes. I mean, look, baseball season's around the corner <laughs> and you, everyone who listens to this knows or who knows me knows I love my Dodgers and that that's kind of my, my respite from TV news. 90210 was a huge part of my childhood. I mean, who didn't want to be at least one of those characters? And, you know, for me, Dylan McKay was, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm a woman, but like he had this essence of cool where he didn't give a shit about fitting in or following trends or being socially acceptable or any of that stuff. He was just who he was. And, and, you know, for a high school student and for me in high school, I wasn't out. I had no idea I was gay. And to see someone who was that comfortable in their own skin at that age was something to aspire to be. And the fact that I can live my life in that way now, I only wish I could have done that then. So that's what that character represented for me. And, and you know, look, he was effortlessly cool. I mean, he wasn't in the original two-hour pilot, but the first time you see him, he's like defending, you know, the school dweeb from bullies. You know, I mean, yes, he was wearing overalls with one strap and, you know, the whole, the whole thing, but... Hey. Cool people amongst us did that back then. I was one of them, yes. But um, were you really? Yes, I'm. I can't believe I just admitted that. But goodness gracious, okay, it was that, the nineties. That's, things you know, got that's, dark, what, Leslie. that's how everyone wore them. But like, you know, <laughs> no, that, it, no, it isn't. Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna find some pictures, Dan. It's on. We're gonna send me your embarrassing pictures. I will ask. I can't wait. <laughs> no, continue, continue. No, I mean, look, that was the character that everyone wanted to be, or be like, or meet, or know, or be, or orbit around them, and. Now you were hearing all these great stories about what kind of a man Luke Perry was and what kind of a leader he was on the set of the CW's Riverdale. And one of the great stories that that I think that I've seen come out since Perry's passing was something that Colin Hanks shared on social media. And the story about how he was on this plane with these two young kids who were just going at it and arguing and noisy the whole flight. And Luke Perry walked over and handed them balloons and basically turn it into a hero. And if you haven't read Colin Hanks post, you, you should, because it's very moving and it's very, you know, it, it speaks to what what kind of a man he was. I saw one very good story about how he talked after TCA panels last year, he talked to the new stars of Charmed about sort of enjoying the ride of being on a show like this and, and of of what it meant to potentially find yourself being the young star of a potentially sensational show. And, you know, plenty of people have spent their entire career shying away from the thing that made them and refusing to talk about the thing that made them famous because they're like, oh, I'm more than just 
dot, dot, dot. And I don't, I think Luke Perry knew he was more than just Dylan McKay. And I think he was happy to also be Dylan McKay and to have known that at a certain moment in time, millions of people, boys and girls, had, you know, his poster up on their wall and that he was on the cover of all the magazines. And I don't think he ever was embarrassed by that or ashamed by that. And, and thanks to Riverdale, he's, you know, reaching a whole new audience. And, you know, it's a chance for parents and kids to, to sit together. And the kids are like, Ooh, look, it's Archie, sexy Archie. And the parents are like, yeah, but forget about that. Look at his dad. He was the cool guy back in the day. I, I think that's probably the best thing, honestly, that Riverdale did as a series. Yeah, and and the Riverdale showrunner dedicated this week's episode to Luke Perry and said that every episode of the series, as long as it runs, will be dedicated to Perry. But I admittedly don't watch Riverdale, but that show is in a tough position trying to figure out how they're going to write out Archie's dad, Fred, played by Perry. I think probably because of the nature of Riverdale, it's a show that's actually fairly well designed to handle it however they want to. Like, I didn't watch this week's episode. I watch Riverdale every week. I didn't watch this week's episode just because I, I couldn't get myself in the mind space to think that it felt like a good idea. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a show that simultaneously has the ability to, you know, actually have characters die, pass away. It's a show that, you know, thrives on that kind of thing, but also that thrives on being able to handle big emotions if that's what they need to do. And I think that the show's vehicle is well tailored to if that's if they want to have Archie dealing with the death of his father, it's a show that could do it in an honorable way if they choose to go that way. I'm honestly more curious at this point to find out what they're going to do on the, the Fox Summer 90210, which was announced basically as a comedy, but it was announced as this meta comedy about the actors on the show planning to do a reboot of the show. So there's absolutely no way they cannot address this. And to be clear, Luke Perry was not originally supposed to be involved in that. I mean, look, he was a series regular at the time of the of the 90210 revival announcement. He's a series regular on another show produced for another network by another studio. The industry standard is that you're permitted to do three episodes of an outside project, which explains why Johnny Galecki had a limited involvement in Roseanne as he was juggling Big Bang Theory. But yes, you're absolutely right. They're going to have to figure out how they address this. And I mean, we haven't heard anything from Fox if the 90210 reboot for the summer has been delayed or anything. They issued a, a really touching statement about Perry, but have said nothing about if his passing will impact the 90210 revival. But it, it'll definitely be a storyline worth watching. And it makes that reboot, which I was already all in on, that much more compelling and it adds some heart to it frankly i i wonder if i wonder if they do view it as an avenue to say okay we can give this some gravity that maybe we didn't initially plan to or if they think that that's inappropriate which would be a perfectly reasonable thing for them to think is we need to acknowledge it we need to deal with it but we only have six episodes and we were supposed to be kind of a comedy so where is the room to do those things i don't know it'll it'll be interesting to see but it's there have been a lot of people writing very thoughtful and very heartfelt tributes this week, and it speaks to what he meant to a generation, both as as kind of a concept of coolness, but also as, you know, to all evidence, a decent, hardworking, committed professional who spent 30 years working in the industry in all ways. Yeah, he will be missed. Well, let's shift to our second topic this week. Let's switch gears a little bit and get more into the TV business weeds of what's going on over at HBO. Number two. 
On Monday, WarnerMedia announced that former NBC Entertainment president Bob Greenblatt would become chairman of WarnerMedia Entertainment. The new gig will see Greenblatt overseeing HBO, Turner's TNT and TBS and True TV. And both of those bigger networks saw longtime executives Richard Plepler and David Levy exit last week after both had spent nearly 30 years at HBO and TNT, respectively. Greenblatt will also have oversight of WarnerMedia's forthcoming streaming service, which is overseen by his friend and former Fox broadcasting rival Kevin Riley. Greenblatt's reporting directly to WarnerMedia CEO John Stanky. And in a larger sense, make no mistake, this is a huge position for Greenblatt. And for the first time, it means that HBO will no longer have the independence it once had under Richard Plepler. So in a larger sense, Dan, what does this mean for HBO? So many outlets, including THR's Tim Goodman, have written that this could mean the end of HBO's so-called boutique era. What do you think? Well, I think primarily what it means is watch out Netflix. You've got a rival for Dolly Parton's attentions. <laughs> I, I think that is going to be the primary thing is is what can Greenblatt do to get Dolly Parton back into the uh, into the HBO fold. I'm curious, like, I, you know, I think that Tim's column was very much a kind of an end of an era. This is clearly done kind of thing. And I, I don't know that that is what might instinct is without having to see it like obviously it's the more clever prescient forward-looking thing to do to say okay clearly this is a this is a dividing line Richard Plepler was if not literally the manifestation of the independence of HBO certainly a representative of that so without him clearly it's going to be a different creature I don't know when Chris Albrecht left HBO, there was plenty of discussion about the fact that he was the man behind The Sopranos and behind all of the prestige TV that HBO birthed. So was HBO going to continue to be HBO without him? Yes, it basically has in the same way that... Mike, when Michael yeah. Lombardo left as president of programming and was replaced by Casey Bloys, who served under him. I mean, and, and we've seen no difference in that change either. But I think that there has to be a trepidation. There has to be a wait and see, but let's watch. You know, we have yet to reach the point at which HBO has taken that sort of wild deviation into something that didn't feel like HBO. And there is still the relative purity of the HBO brand, that even their utter failures, you understand how they fit within the HBO brand. You understand why HBO would have made a vinyl. You understand why HBO would have made a here and now. Those are abject failures for HBO, but completely on the HBO brand. And I think even networks that we sort of vaunt as being better than broadcast or whatever, even they sort of sacrifice their dignity in certain respects. You know, FX is always going to be the poster boy for basic cable prestige, but they did that Charlie Sheen anger management thing, which I understand which was, was a, a totally different model, totally different model. But it was still a thing that was on their air that when you looked at it, you went, wow, that is not an FX show. I think you can look at some of FX's failures and go, OK, I can see why that was not really what they should have been doing. HBO, I don't think, has had that so far. So what are you what are you hearing in the in the willows and the winds and the trees uh, regarding whether there's going to be some wholesale, let's go five nights a week, let's triple our programming, let's dilute the whole brand and just start making money or not. Well, I mean, it's no secret that that John Stanky wants more from the crown jewel that he bought with HBO. And yes, HBO is expanding to a second night of programming on Mondays in the summer 
with Chernobyl and later with shows like The Deuce and Helen Mirren's Catherine the Great. But at the same time, we're already seeing this push to do more. And this was something that was in the works before Stanky came in and said, brace yourselves, it's going to be a tough year ahead, akin to childbirth. I mean, this is a network that has been aggressively ramping up since before Stanky got there. Just look at what they have coming up. I have a list. Okay, so you've, in addition to the final seasons of please Game do, of Thrones... Please do this, by the way, in musical form to the tune of my favorite things. No, I'm going to do it to the tune of Game of Thrones. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do any of that. But look at what they're launching. So they've got Euphoria, Lovecraft Country, Mrs. Fletcher, The Righteous Gemstones, His Dark Materials, Watchmen, The Deadwood Movie. Then there's Meryl Streep in season two of Big Little Lies, returning hits like Barry and Insecure... And all of that, and HBO has win been winning some really big bidding wars of late, like Demimon, the first series that J.J. Abrams has written and created since Alias. Plus, they, they won the bidding rights for a new show from Joss Whedon. Just this week, they picked up Fleabag and Killing Eve creator Phoebe Waller-Bridge's comedy Run. And I mean, and you're going to start to see more varied programming, like My Brilliant Friend, which is a show that you loved. I mean, this is part of that mandate to do more, and we've already been seeing it, so... For people to sound the alarm bell, I mean, I think it's a little premature to do that. And yes, Plepler is an end of an era, make no mistake. But I'm very curious to see what HBO is going to do with hundreds of millions of dollars more in resources and opening up 50% more programming hours. There's just such a vast gap between what HBO has been and suddenly becoming a Netflix-style clearinghouse where some things are of high quality, some things are of medium quality, some things are utter trash, some things are I mean, HBO is never going to do Fuller House. I think there would be something going horrifically wrong for a show that is that doesn't meet the HBO quality barometer to land on the air. I mean... I don't think you're going to you're going to start to see pickups that don't make any sense for, for what that network has worked so hard to represent. Unless it turns out that money is simply more important than the brand. But if that happens, that would be a genuinely sad thing. I, I am not there. I am certainly not at a panic stage yet because there's been no indication that there's a reason for panic other than that unquestionably Richard Butler, large part of the HBO brand, and clearly he will be missed by those at HBO, but I, I think there are lots of good people there. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, they still have an, another Game of Thrones prequel in the works, too. I mean, so you're going to still get the same HBO, at least in the immediate future. But beyond that, I think I'm very curious to see what else they buy, because I think that will really help define what that network is in its upcoming stage. So well, that feels like a good note to move on. Our third topic this week, we've talked at length in the past about what led to the implosion of Marvel's Netflix shows, but let's talk about DC's TV footprint. Number three. This week, the CW put to rest rumors of Arrow's Endgame when it confirmed that the previously announced eighth season would indeed be its last, and it will end with an abbreviated run of 10 episodes. Of course, many diehard comics fans suspected the Stephen Amell starer would be ending and Oliver's days would be numbered. Given the events of last season's crossover and the arc of the next one in Crisis on Infinite Earths. That is a sentence that my wife helped me construct. Make no mistake, I am not a fan <laughs> a fangirl on this. But Dan, does the end of Arrow surprise you? Is this a show you've been keeping up with? It's a show that I am basically this entire season behind on. It is all on my DVR and piling up. I watched this year's DC crossover on the CW. Elseworlds. And I got that right, right? It sounds possible. Elseworlds, yeah. 
I don't I don't particularly remember what it was. Oh, that's right. They they they're sort of swapped identities, and it was like ha ha ha. Everyone thinks that Oliver Queen is uh, is yeah Grant Gustin and whatever. Anyway, yes, thing that happened. So I am fifteen episodes behind, and it becomes definitely one of those shows where it's like, well, when am I going to want to take a weekend and watch fifteen hours of Arrow? And there's no clear answer. I'm also a full season behind on Black Lightning, and I think without any question and i'm 100 percent sure that mark pedowitz would disagree with me on this because he says that every time we ask him about a press tour i think the cw is oversaturated with dc shows i, I think that it is dramatic and frankly annoying <laughs> because this really weird thing happened in the past couple of years where suddenly legends of tomorrow became the most enjoyable of the dc shows the show that was easily the worst of the dc shows when it started off so that's the one I'm caught up on. I'm close to caught up on Flash and what's the other? Supergirl. Supergirl. God, I should remember Supergirl because I like Supergirl. Anyway, it's crazy. There's too much of it. It makes no sense. And suddenly we're also in the same way that, you know, the Marvel shows ending on Netflix caused everyone to look over to the hypothetical Disney Marvel whatever streaming service. What role, if any, do you think that DC Universe plays in all of this? Where where does DC Universe fit into the world? You mean in terms of the streaming platform DC Universe? Yes, not the DC Universe as in the DC Comics Universe. I mean DC Universe, the streaming service that is home to Doom Patrol and Titans. Well, I mean that they're launching in, they have launched an entire new universe of all shows that are interconnected over there. Titan, it's, I think, what is it called? The Titanverse? The Titansverse? I don't I'm know. calling it no such thing. Whatever you do is... Uh... But I mean, those are shows that are interconnected the same way that, that The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl have been, and they're doing it on a streaming platform that eventually is going to Warner's is going to have to figure out how that fits in with the, the larger Warner Media streaming service because why would you have dueling streaming platforms? I, I, I mean, we're, that's getting into really into the streaming weeds, but I mean, I think in terms of what the CW is doing with DC, Pedowitz made a really interesting comment at TCA when he was asked his annual question about how much DC is too much on his network, and he said, and I quote. Things will age, and we want to get the next generation of shows to keep the CW DC universe going for as long as possible. Well, that to me indicates that there could be a second phase, if we want to use Marvel lingo here, that there could be a phase two of DC on CW. And we're already starting to see the, the beginning of that. So Batwoman is a pilot starring Ruby Rose. It's currently in production with Arrow ending. Make no mistake, this is 100% expected to go to series. If it doesn't, that will probably be one of pilot season's biggest surprises. I would be <laughs> very upset about that because this is the first scripted DC show with a openly gay lead character, as in number one on the call sheet. So, you know, Ruby Rose's central character is a, a Jewish lesbian. I mean, how many of those are on TV, uh, let alone on you know, number one on the call sheet? So, I mean, I think Batwoman could represent the beginning of a next stage. So I, I would be curious what comes after Batwoman and how that fits in and what that world looks like. But it's also interesting when you look across the landscape because Gotham, which is also another DC comic show over on Fox, is ending this, its run. Legion, which is a Marvel show, is ending on FX. But it feels like viewers are already starting to get the next generation of DC shows. Dan, what do you think? There's just so much of it. <laughs> There's just so much of it. And, and the, the tones are such a struggle. I think that if you look already at the two DC Universe shows, Doom Patrol 
ends up looking so much vastly better than Titans because it has any sense of humor at all, which is... It's got a really impressive cast. Matt Bomer. It has a terrific cast. Brendan Fraser, etc. Timothy Dalton. Whereas Titans was kind of gritty and glum and what the kids call grimdark. And I feel like probably Arrow was from that vein of shows. It was definitely a show that was much more grumpy and and miserable than it needed to be. And that's probably how I fell behind on it. Whereas the great thing about Legends of Tomorrow is that it's light and funny and peppy and crazy and silly. And Supergirl is honestly, for me, when it's at its best, in a similarly light mode. I think that that's where that show uh, shines. So it'll be interesting to see what they do because Batwoman feels like it's going to be grumpier. You know, that it's going to be a darker show, whereas Gotham was dark, but was also crazy. There are lots, there's a lot of variety to what these DC shows are. Just from my point of view, there are really a lot of them. (laughs) And there's, and like I said, there's, there's more coming. Epics is making a drama set in the Batman universe with a period drama about Alfred's backstory. DC universe, of course, has the Titans shows, Doom Patrol and the upcoming Stargirl and Swamp Thing. HBO's got Damon Lindelof's take on, on Watchmen FX is actually really for real, 100%. I'm so excited. I can't contain myself making Why the Last Man, which is one of the most beloved comics out there with Diane Lane. I mean, Diane Lane is doing a comic book show on FX. When can I have this? FX, if you're listening, please send me the pilot. And look, I mean, and that's a show that that took forever to get to TV after creator Brian K. Vaughn had to battle for rights to get to get those back from New Line after the feature fizzled out. So, I mean, it's... It, you know, to your point, it sounds like the second wave is is really getting a little bit more sophisticated. And yet the most sophisticated of all of them, probably, at least thus far, was Legion, which is so darn sophisticated as to be darn near unwatchable at times. Uh, yeah, I, I also am looking forward to Why the Last Man, though I'm kind of angry that FX put out a first image from it that didn't feature the monkey. Um, <laughs> if, if you're attempting to cater to my preferences and needs and attention span, you have to put asterisk in the first ad you can't you can't hold that back give me asterisk right up front um, and if you don't know what that means please go out immediately by brian Kavon's why the last man this was not a sponsored comment <laughs> <laughs> it's just really great well it's until, one of my favorites till we actually know it's, it's it is as as comic series go it's one of my favorites as well and i've never understood wholly why it was taking so long because it never seemed to me like such an unreasonable property to adapt like there are lots of things where i look at them and i go okay in order to make that work you have to have a creature made out of shimmering blue nuclear energy and can you possibly do that on tv blah 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 this isn't that at all it should not have been as complicated as it was but i get i want to believe they just wanted to get it right yeah and now it's actually feels like it's that it could have the potential to be the right show at the right moment in time where this is a show about when all of the men are wiped out except for one you know that that to me feels like a a show for the for the times we're in right now but i'm obviously coming at it from a different viewpoint as you are dan well i feel like that's a good point to move on to our fourth topic this week for number four mad about you is the latest series to get the reboot treatment number four this week charter communications announced that it was teaming with the original producers sony tv to produce a Mad About You sequel with Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser reprising their roles from the former NBC comedy. The so-called limited series will take place 20 years after the original seven-season run ended 
as the beloved couple navigate being empty nesters and dealing with a hard-to-control daughter in Mabel. The series order came a year after the revival hit the marketplace and it struggled to find a home. The stars wanted a straight series order and finally got one at whatever Spectrum is. Dan, first things first, aside from the typical not another reboot reaction, did you get a sense that this was something that, that viewers want to watch? I am inclined to quote the beginning of the show's theme song and simply say, don't know why. Fair. <laughs> and stop there. No, honestly, I've seen on Twitter a lot of people claiming that they're genuinely curious what happened with Mabel. And <laughs> I guess that's fair. The thing about Mad About You is that what it did in that final season, and particularly in the finale, which had a huge jump forward at the end of it, but the final season was such an odd, bitter unhappy. It was almost dystopic in terms of how it tore these characters apart. So I'm curious what the tone is going to be with this one as well, is what they think that the brand actually means. Is it going to be about Jamie and Paul and them being together and just basically being the same, but dealing with a new world? Or is it going to be about their dysfunction? I don't know. And I don't know that I have a compelling appetite for this, but Peter Tolan is returning as showrunner, and he's great. Helen Hunt is going to direct the pilot. She's, she's been doing a, she's been doing a ton of directing and is a more than qualified person, obviously, to do this. So that's all <laughs> interesting. I don't know. What do you make of the spectrum of it, and whether that's a sign that Spectrum wants to play with the big boys, or that Spectrum is simply making their brand off of taking things no one else wants? Well, the latter seems especially true. Mad About You is the second series to be picked up after getting bypassed at a bunch of networks, specifically on the broadcast side. And it joins LA's Finest, which is the spinoff of Bad Boys 2 that NBC developed as a pilot this time last year and ultimately passed on. Sony also produces that one and shopped it everywhere. And of course it landed at Spectrum, which, you know, to me, it's like, that is a big question mark with what that platform is. I mean, from a personal point of view, I'm upset because the Spectrum has exclusive rights to the Dodgers and I refuse to pay for that. So Reddit, it is for me, but it's a value add. If you haven't cut the cord yet and you're looking for a cable provider, maybe this is the thing that gets you to pick Spectrum over one of the other outlets. I don't know that LA's Finest with Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba and a Mad About You show, I don't know that that would tip the scales for me the same way, say, the Dodgers would, or not in my case, but it's interesting to say the least. We haven't really heard from the executives running it what their business model is. It's been good for Sony, which struggles as an independent studio to get shows on broadcast networks and cable platforms and streamers in this era of ownership and vertical integration. But I mean, it's a question mark. I mean, how many people watch Kingdom on DirecTV? It's a similar kind of model. Yeah, that's, I mean, for people who don't know what Spectrum is, and I think we've still got probably a long wave of people not having a clue what it means when Spectrum picks up a TV show. Basically, it's the in-house on-demand channel for the network in the same way that the audience network or the 101 network or whatever it's called at any particular moment is for DirecTV. And they've had kind of an interesting road of trying to build that brand. And I'm sure many of our listeners don't have a clue what that is. Yeah, I was getting tweets yesterday, like, not another subscription service to pay for. Well, it's not that easy. And the funny thing is, I mean, this one isn't that. It's, you know, if you get Spectrum, you're going to get it. But it doesn't sound as if they have a plan to do a separate OTT, which Audience Network does have. If you want those DirecTV shows, you can subscribe and you can watch 
Kingdom and Mr. Mercedes, which I think is a very good show. And you uh, Her is on that platform as well. Louder Milk, which, you know, from the Oscar-winning writer-director thingy of Green Book, if that's some sort of... Let me assure you, Louder Milk, vastly better vastly. than Green Book. But neither here nor there. Yeah, so it's a different kind of thing. And I don't feel like DirecTV has really had the kind of hit that would have been really a tipping point for that brand. I think that there's no question. Some people loved Kingdom. I think Mr. Mercedes is a really good show. But I don't know that people really view that as a destination for programming. And I think it's going to take a while before Spectrum suddenly becomes that. This helps. <laughs> yeah. Or if they license these shows to Netflix and that's how you, more people get turned on to what these are and maybe they find value in it in a way where they want to change their cable providers and go through that hassle. But who's going to change their cable provider for seven episodes of a Mad About You spinoff? Like if it felt like there were the possibility that this was going to run 150 episodes and, you know, it was going to be a regular ongoing show forever and it was going to do 22 a season and all of that, maybe I would feel as if there was a lot of value to that. But I, I'm really not that excited about a Mad About You reboot, except for the fact that I am a Spectrum subscriber and therefore I'm going to get it. And I get to watch the Dodgers whenever I want to, Leslie. Dan, I'm coming over. <laughs> Just give me some lead time and I'll make sure I clean my apartment. I'll bring the peanuts. As always, we wrap things up with our Critics Corner segment. Number five. This week, Ricky Gervais returns to Netflix as the star of comedy Afterlife. The third season of The Good Fight begins on CBS All Access. Stars launches half-hour sci-fi comedy Now Apocalypse. And HBO debuts docuseries The Case Against Adnan Syed. Dan, what's worth watching this week? That is a wide variety wide of variety. options. And uh, that's not, of course, not even everything. Yes, that is only the tip of the iceberg. It just happens that that's a sampling. So, you know, if you're the kind of person who loves a true crime documentary series, first of all, boy, you've had a lot of stuff to watch in the past few months, so it's not like you're bored or anything. The Case Against Adnan Saeed is directed by Amy Berg, a well-known documentarian, and it kind of picks up where Serial left off, and it very much acknowledges that Serial was a phenomenon, and it kind of recaps the case involving Adnan Saeed and where it is after appeals that started in 2016, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to get people passionate and addicted in the same way that Serial did when it first came out. I mean, that was just a remarkable phenomenon for that moment. And I don't think this is going to be that. On the other hand, it does a lot of good things. First and foremost, that it brings the actual victim in the case, Heyman Lee, it gives her a character. It captures her voice from teenage diary entries with some animation and it really makes her into a person and serial was never able to do that never attempted to do that so i think that's probably the major thing in a positive corner for the case against adnan saeed uh, it brings a bunch of strong women to the forefront rabia chowdhury who helped bring the case to sarah koenig in the first place asia mclean the famous alibi witness who was never heard in the original case these people are all on camera and they all do a good job of fleshing it out so that's good the Good Fight remains one of the best things going on television that you wouldn't necessarily know where you could find it. So if you have CBS All Access, it continues to be there. If you don't, you apparently have not yet reached that tipping point that we discussed in the last section where CBS All Access became valuable to you. And so maybe The Twilight Zone will be the thing that does that, or maybe not. In any case, it's a really good show. And 
the thing that that's probably my favorite thing coming out this week though is now apocalypse which i am 100 percent positive is going to be hated by 98 or 99 percent of viewers but if you are in the one percent of viewers who know director gregor rocky's work who get a kick out of his sort of twisted perverse sardonically funny worlds occasionally with sci-fi edges around the corner this is about a bunch of la roused about 20 somethings and the possibility that the world might be ending and the possibility that there are alien lizard creatures out there raping homeless people and wait i'm sorry alien lizard creatures yeah alien lizard creatures uh raping homeless people <laughs> it is very very sexually graphic it is very profane it is very crazy and silly and either you're going to go along with the vibe immediately or you're going to check out on the vibe immediately and it's been the same thing with all of Gregoraki's movies so if you've watched Doom Generation if you've watched Nowhere this is not the mysterious skin version of Gregoraki incidentally but if you have liked the weirder of Gregoraki's work you should definitely check out Now Apocalypse it is crazy well that feels like a good note to end things on Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be sure to subscribe on your various podcast platforms. And if you like us, you should definitely rate us on iTunes or, again, your favorite podcasting platform. And if you really like us, you should totally write reviews. Tweet about us. Tell your friends. Tweet us. We'll, tweet we'll us. tweet back. Exactly. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. Go Dodgers. <laughs>